0: Hello, and welcome to The Essential Reads. My name is Isaac, and my goal is to bring you a bunch of classic audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. We're continuing with Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, and uh, we're on chapter 22, which, you know, is pretty much halfway through the book. It's, I think, 46 chapters. So we're halfway through. And, uh, yeah, I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. Really good book. Uh, It's been a hell of a week for me. Um... It's been a hell of a week for me, and we'll leave it at that, but I need some escapism with some fantasy. Or, you know, fiction. Voila. So let's dive in. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn was written in a time when terrible slurs and actions were used to oppress the African-American people. These words and actions still cause harm today, and I, Isaac, would never wish to do so to any of these people. Any racial slurs that occur in this book shall be bleeped to avoid causing offence and to guarantee that I can get paid for making these videos. I do, however, believe that you cannot censor the past, and that by trying to censor books, you are trying to pretend that the actions of our ancestors didn't happen. And for this reason, the books shall be remaining unchanged apart from these little bleeps. If you still find this triggering or offensive, then please check out another book. Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain Chapter 22 they swarmed up the street toward Sherburn's house, a-whooping and a-yelling and raging like engines, and everything had to clear the way or get run over and tramp to mush. It was awful to see. Children was heeling it ahead of the mob, screaming and trying to get out of the way. And every window along the road was full of women's heads, and there was a n- boy in every tree, and bucks and wenches looking over every fence. And as soon as the mob would get nearly to them, they would break and scuttle back out of reach. Lots of the women and girls was crying and taking on, scared most to death. They swarmed up the front of Mr. Sherburn's palings as thick as they could jam together. They swarmed up in front of Sherburn's palings as thick as they could jam together. And you couldn't hear yourself think for the noise. It was little, twenty-foot yard. Some sung out, Tear down the fence! Tear down the fence! And there was a racket of ripping and tearing and smashing, and down she goes and the front wall of the crowd begins to roll in like a wave. Just then, Sherbin steps out onto the roof of his little front porch with a double-barreled gun in his hand and takes his stand perfectly calm and deliberate, not saying a word. The racket stopped, and the wave sucked back. Sherbin never said a word, just stood there, looking down, and the stillness was awful creepy and uncomfortable, Sherbin run his eyes slow along the crowd, and wherever it stuck, the people tried to outgaze him, but they couldn't. They dropped their eyes and looked sneaky. Pretty soon, Sherbin sort of laughed. Not the pleasant kind, but the kind that makes you feel like when you're eating bread that's got sand in it. Then he says, slow and scornful The idea
1: of you lynching anybody! It's amusing, the idea of you thinking you had pluck enough to lynch a man. Because you're brave enough to tarn feather poor friendless cast-out women that come along here, did that make you think you had grit enough to lay your hands on a man? Why, a man's safe in the hands of ten thousand of your kind... As long as it's daytime and you're not behind him. Do I know you? I know you clear, though. I was born and raised in the South, and I lived in the North. So I know the average all around. The average man's a coward. In the North, he lets anybody walk over him that wants to, and he goes home and prays for a little humble spirit to bear it. In the South, one man all by himself, has stopped a stage full of men in the daytime and robbed a lot. Your newspapers call you brave people so much that you think you're braver than any other people, whereas you're just as brave and no braver. Why don't your juries hang murderers? Because they're afraid the man's friends will shoot him in the back in the dark. And it's just what they would do. So they always acquit. And then a man goes in the night with a hundred masked cowards at his back and lynches the rascal. Your mistake is that you didn't bring a man with you. That's one mistake. And the other is that you didn't come in the dark and fetch your masks. You bought part of a man, Buck Harkness there. And if you hadn't had him to start you, you'd have taken it out in blowing. You didn't want to come. The average man don't like trouble and danger. You don't like trouble and danger. But if only half a man, like Buck Harkness there, shouts, Lynch him, lynch him, you're afraid to back down. Afraid you'll be found out to be what you are. Cowards. And so you raise a yell and hang yourself onto that half a man's coattail and come raging up here, swearing what big things you're gonna do. The pitifulest thing out is a mob. That's what an army is. A mob. They don't fight with courage that's born in them, but with courage that's borrowed from their mass and from their officers. But a mob without a man at the head of it is beneath pitifulness. Now, the thing for you to do is to droop your tails and go home and crawl inside a hole. If any real lynching's gonna be done, it'll be done in the dark, southern fashion. And when they come, they'll bring their masks and fetch a man along. Now leave, and take your half a man with you
0: tossing his gun up across his left arm and cocking it when he says this. The crowd washed back, sudden, and then broke all apart and went tearing off every which way. And Buck Harkness, he healed it after him, looking tolerable cheap. I could have stayed if I wanted to, but I didn't want to. I went to the circus and loafed around the backside till the watchman went by, and then dived in under the tent. I had my $20 gold piece and some other money, but I reckon I better save it. "'cause there ain't no telling how soon you're gonna need it, "'away from home and amongst strangers that way. "'You can't be too careful. "'I ain't opposed to spending money on circuses "'when there ain't no other way, "'but there ain't no use in wasting it on them. "'It was a real bully circus. "'It was the splendidest sight that ever was "'when they all come riding in, two and two, "'a gentleman and a lady side by side, "'the men just in their drawers and undershirts, "'and no shoes, nor stirrups, "'and resting their hands on their thighs, "'easy and comfortable.' and every lady with a lovely complexion and perfectly beautiful and looking just like a gang of real sure-enough queens and dressed in clothes that cost millions of dollars and just littered with diamonds. It was a powerful fine sight. I never see anything so lovely. And then, one by one, they got up and stood and went a-waving around the ring, so gentle and wavy and graceful, the men looking ever so tall and airy and straight with their heads bobbing and skimming along away up there under the tent roof in every lady's rose leafy dress flapping soft and silky around her hips and she's looking like the most loveliest parasol and then faster and faster they went all of them dancing first one foot stuck out in the air and then the other the horses leaning more and more and the ringmaster going round and round the center pole cracking his whip and shouting ha ha and a clown cracking jokes behind him and by and by "'All hands dropped the reins, and every lady put her knuckles on her hips, "'and every gentleman folded his arms. "'And then how did the horses lean over and hunt themselves? "'And so, one after another, they all skipped off into the ring "'and made the sweetest bow I ever see, and then scampered out, "'and everybody clapped their hands and went just about wild. "'Well, all through the circus, they'd done the most astonishing things.' And all that time, that clown carried on so it most killed the people. The ringmaster couldn't ever say a word to him, but he was back at him, quick as a wink, with the funniest thing a body ever said. And how ever could he think so many of them, and so sudden, and so pat? What was I couldn't no way understand. Why, I couldn't have thought of them in a year. And by and by, a drunk man tried to get into the ring, said he wanted to ride, said he could ride as well as anybody that ever there was. They argued and tried to keep him out, but he wouldn't listen, and the whole show come to a standstill. Then people began to holler at him and make fun of him, that made him mad, and he began to rip and tear, and that stirred up people, and a lot of men began to pile down off the benches and swarm towards the ring, saying, "'Knock him down! Throw him out!' And one or two women began to scream. So then, the ringmaster, he made a little speech and said he hoped there wouldn't be no disturbance." and if the man would promise he wouldn't make no more trouble, he would let him ride, if he thought he could stay on the horse. So everybody laughed and said, All right, and the man got on. The minute he was on, the horse began to rip and tear and jump and cavort around, with two circus men hanging on his bridle, trying to hold him, and the drunk man hanging onto his neck, his heels flying in the air every jump, and the whole crowd of people standing up and shouting and laughing until the tears rolled down. And at last, sure enough, All the circus men could do, the horse broke loose and away he went like the very nation round and round the ring with that sock laying down on him and hanging to his neck with first one leg hanging most to the ground on one side and then t'other on t'other side and the people just crazy. But it weren't funny to me though. I was all of a tremble to see the danger. But pretty soon he struggled up astride and grabbed the bridle a wriggling this way and that and the next he sprung up and dropped the bridle, and stood. And the horse, a-going like a house fire, too. He just stood up there, a-sailing round, as easy and comfortable, as if he weren't ever drunk in his life. And then he began to pull off his clothes, and sling them. He shed them so thick, they kind of clogged up the air, and altogether he shed seventeen suits. And then, there he was, slim and handsome, and dressed the gaudiest and prettiest you ever saw. And he lit into that horse with his whip, and made him fairly hum, and finally skipped off, and made his bow, and danced off to the dressing room, and everybody just a-howling with pleasure and astonishment. Then the ringmaster see how he'd been fooled, and he was the sickest ringmaster you ever see, I reckon. Why, it was one of his own men. he had got up that joke all out his own head, and never let on to nobody. Well, I felt sheepish enough to be took in, so, but I wouldn't have been in that ringmaster's place. Not for a thousand dollars. I don't know why. There may be bullier circuses than what that one was, but I never struck them yet. Anyways, it was plenty good enough for me. And whenever I run across it, it can have all my custom, every time. Well, that night we had our show. But there weren't only about 12 people there, just enough to pay expenses. And they laughed all the time. And that made Duke mad. And everybody left anyways before the show was over but one boy, which was asleep. So the Duke said these Arkansas lunkheads couldn't come up to Shakespeare. What they wanted was low comedy. And maybe something rather worse than low comedy, he reckon. He said he could size their style. So next morning, he got some big sheets of wrapping paper and some black paint and drawed off some of the handbills and stuck them up all over the village. The handbills said, At the courthouse, for three nights only, the world-renowned tragedians, David Garrick the Younger, and Edmund Cain, the elder of London and Continental Theatres, in their thrilling tragedy of the king's camel part, or royal nonsuch, admission 50 cents. Then at the bottom was the biggest line of all, which said, Ladies and children not admitted. There, he says, if that line don't fetch them, then I don't know Arkansas. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe, because there is more to come. This town is weird. <laughs> I've said it before, and I'll say it again, the past was the worst. However, I do very much so kind of agree with Colonel Schuburn, what he said about sort of the cowardice of people, is that, you know, if there weren't a um, uh, an instigator, if there weren't an, a half-man, what he called, to use very outdated terms, but... There weren't, say, a leader or someone to try and bolster the people. Then the majority of things would never happen because the majority of people lack the courage to do things by themselves, or they require the cloak of darkness, or you know, a metaphorical or or theoretical darkness, whatever it may be, to to start to do something. Um, they don't want to be seen in a in a bad light. I'm rambling. Um, hope you liked it. Please subscribe. The end. I'll see you in a couple of days with a new chapter. Once again, thank you and bye-bye.